As I said last hour, it's um, a real joy, brothers and sisters, for myself and my family to be here with you. This morning, I bring to you the warmest heartfelt greetings from the brethren at Grace Baptist Church in Hartsville, Tennessee. We are, it's our blessing, it's our privilege to be your sponsoring church in the Association of Reformed Baptist Churches of America. I hope that many of you have been blessed by the Lord to look into your life and the past of your life and call someone a very best friend. That's what I call your pastor. That's what he is to me. Uh, After my wife, and there is no close second to her, but after my wife, uh, for sure, uh, Randy is uh, in my heart on this earth, one of my very, very best and closest and dearest friends. And it's just a real blessing to be able to be here with he and Beth this weekend, to be here with you. I'd like to ask you to turn in God's word to Second Thessalonians chapter 5. Second Thessalonians chapter 5. And before we read anything there, I'd like for us once again to go before the Lord <clears throat> and commit our most holy time of considering his word together. And I do consider it that it's you and I coming to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to hear our God, who is a communicating God, speak to us from his word. And he is just that he's a communicating God. He always has spoken to his people. He means to speak to his people. He intends to speak to his people. He does speak to his people from his word. And let's ask for God's blessing upon our time of consideration of his word this morning. Lord, you are kind and gracious, and I do thank you that you are our communicating God, and you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you that your word is your will. Lord, we pray for the ministry of your Holy Spirit as we continue now, really in our time of worship, of humbling ourselves before your word. I pray for grace for us to be hearers, but not hearers only, but to be hearers And doers of your word. And Lord, we know for that to happen, uh, we have to have the ministry of the blessed Holy Spirit. And so we ask for that in Jesus' name and for Christ's sake. Amen. First responders are individuals who are trained to come upon a situation. And their training requires of them, when they come upon a situation, to assess it. And upon assessing it, to then assess what needs to be done, what actions are appropriate. And then to take those appropriate actions. And what they do as first responders is so important because so many times their responses are nothing less than vital responses. And the Apostle Paul is closing out his letter to the Thessalonian believers and he gives to them instruction which amounts to very important, vital responses. They're responses that require the assessing of the situation around them. And then they're responses that require the appropriate action to be carried out. Let's read some of those vital responses beginning at 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 16. Rejoice always, pray 
without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from that every form of evil. Certainly vital responses in every situation that you and I find ourselves. We should assess that situation. And it is God's will for us that the appropriate response would be to rejoice in that situation. We should assess the situation and find that the appropriate response would be to give thanks in whatever the situation might be. We should assess whatever's going on around us and know that whatever's happening, a response should be to pray about everything. We should know that we should be those who assess what is the Spirit of God saying? Where is the Spirit of God convicted me? Where is the Spirit of God gifted me? And assess those situations and not dampen and pour water upon the, the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it's the last of those vital responses that I want us to consider this morning. Reading again from verses 19 through 22. Or verse 20 through 22. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul would say to the Thessalonians and he would say to us. We're to be those who respond to the word of God. Two ways that we'll consider that this morning. First of all, we should be those who treasure the word of God. And we should be those who test everything by the word. First of all, we should be those who treasure the word of God. Now, if you're wondering, why do I say treasure? I say treasure because to treasure something is the heart attitude that is the opposite of. Of what Paul instructs us here not to do. He says, do not despise prophetic utterances. Beloved, the heart attitude of despising something. That's how our lives operate. Our lives operate by the actions of our lives. Being born out from the heart attitudes of our lives. And the heart attitude of despising something gets carried out in the actions of our lives by looking down on something because we consider that something to be of little value or of little importance. And therefore, we despise it. We hold it in contempt. Now, the opposite of that hard attitude is the hard attitude of treasuring something. And the hard attitude of treasuring something is carried out in the actions of our lives by considering that something very important and very valuable. And therefore, we guard it and we protect it and we hold it close to ourselves. That's the actions that get carried out by the hard attitude of treasuring something. And so when Paul says here in First Thessalonians, do not despise prophetic utterance. He's getting, first of all, at a hard attitude that's carried out in the actions of our lives. And he's saying this, he's saying, do not treat prophetic utterances with contempt. Do not treat them as something of no value or of no importance, but rather treat them as something highly valuable and highly important. And of course, it would be important for us to ask this morning, then what does he mean by prophetic utterances that we're not to despise? My brothers and sisters, any way you slice this, 
prophetic utterances are never anything more or less than a word spoken from God for God. That word prophetic utterance is derived from a verb whose primary meaning is to foretell something. Its primary meaning is not to foretell. Sometimes when we think about prophetic utterances or prophecy, we think about things in the future. But the primary meaning is not to foretell. It's to tell forth. To foretell. The prophet in Scripture had the responsibility to be, as it were, the mouthpiece of God to speak forth God's word. Now, prior to the completion of the canon of Scripture, of God's word, there were revelatory words of prophecy. These revelatory words of prophecy were the inspired word of God spoken. And the apostles and the prophets spoke these revelatory, inspired words of God as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And we thank God that they did because as a result, we have the word of God. But the closing of the canon marked the closing of revelatory, inspired, prophetic utterances. But it wasn't the end of prophecy. There's still prophecy today. There still exists prophecy. Prophecy. There are the, there's the non-revelatory gift of prophecy, which is the permanent form of prophetic utterances today. But it still simply means the speaking forth of God's word. John MacArthur uh, refers to this in Romans 12, 6, when he reminds us that Romans 12, 6 says, And since we have gifts that differ, Paul is giving out a list of present day gifts in the church. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. It's MacArthur that reminds us that the NIV in the margin reminds us what the literal meaning of that expression according to the portion of one's faith is. The NIV reads, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use that gift in agreement with the faith. I mentioned John MacArthur's name. I want to mention a quote here from MacArthur at this point. In the original... The latter phrase reads, according to the proportion of the faith, which indicates that the one with the gift of prophecy had to speak in agreement with the divinely revealed body of Christian doctrine. The New Testament always considers the expression, the faith, to be synonymous with the collection of previously revealed truth. Thus, Paul instructed the Romans That prophetic utterances must perfectly agree with the faith, which is God's word. And so there is the gift of prophecy. There are prophetic utterances. And what it amounts to today is to clearly and authoritatively articulate and teach the revealed word of God. Well, there were those in Thessalonica who apparently were despising prophetic utterances because Paul says, despise not prophetic utterances. Now, if they were despising prophetic utterances, what that means purely and simply is this. They were despising God's word. They were considering God's word to not be valuable or not important. 
Now, I doubt that there were anybody in, in Thessalonica going around saying these words. I despise God's word. I discount God's word. But their heart attitude was a despising of God's word that was being taught to them and spoken to them. And we don't know exactly how that was happening. But if I were to venture a guess, I would remind you of the fact that there were at this time in Thessalonica, those who were going about making spurious, spurious claims about the second coming of Christ. They were going around saying Christ's coming is is very, very soon. And they had quit their jobs. They had become loafers. They had become busybodies. They were even uh, expecting that the other members of the church would meet their physical needs. And again, making these incorrect claims about Christ's coming. And it may be that some in Thessalonica, seeing the behavior of these individuals, seeing the inconsistencies of what they were saying, of, of course, they were devaluing what they were saying. But it may very well be that they were not only devaluing that, but they were despising the word of God itself. Truths of the word of God, especially as those truths related to the second coming of Christ. And so the Apostle Paul says to them, do not treat with contempt God's true word. But rather respond to God's word with a heart attitude that treasures it. That considers it to be of the greatest value and of the utmost importance. That considers it to be one of the dearest things in your heart and life. If you were walking along the sidewalk and saw a penny on the sidewalk. Let's be honest. A penny. You might or you might not stop to pick it up. It's just a penny. You can't even buy a piece of double bubble with a penny. And I'll admit, there have been times where I've walked past a penny and I've just kind of let the penny go. Now, you know why I did that? I did it because I held the penny with contempt. I was despising it. That's the hard attitude. That's not important. That's not valuable. It's not even worth stopping to pick it up and putting it in my pocket. But if you and I were walking along and we saw a $10 bill lying on the ground. If we were on the way to the funeral of a loved one, we would stop in our tracks and pick that $10 bill up because we don't despise $10 bills. Our heart attitude is very different about a $10 bill than it is about a penny, isn't it? And we would stop and we'd pick it up and we'd say, that's valuable. That's worth stopping for. That's worth picking up and putting in my pocket and holding on to brothers and sisters God says of his word that his word is more valuable than gold Psalm 19.18 your words are more desirable than gold yes than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb Psalm 119.72 the law of thy mouth is better to me than thousands Of gold and silver pieces. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Psalm 119, 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold. Yes, than fine gold. 
Indeed, the heart attitude that should lead to the actions of our lives should be one of treasuring God's word, not despising God's word. And I would venture to say there's no one in this room who would say with the words of our mouth, I despise God's word. I hold God's word with contempt or in contempt. But Paul is getting, first of all, at a heart attitude of how it approached the word of God. Was it a heart attitude of despising God's word or a heart attitude of treasuring God's word and holding it near and dear? And I want to ask you this morning, what is your heart attitude that is borne out truly in the actions of your life when it comes to God's word? Would you say with the psalmist, the words of your mouth are more precious, they are more valuable to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. I love thy commandments above gold and silver. I'm asking you this morning, do you treasure God's word as fine, fine gold? And we should because it's God's word. That's what it is, brothers and sisters. It's God's word. It's God who communicates to his people through his word, his written word, his preached word. It's God's word. Would you and I despise God's word? What is your heart attitude? What is my heart attitude when we come to church to hear God's word taught and God's word preached? Are we coming with like anxious anticipation? We are going to hear God's word today. We are going to sit, as it were, on the edge of our seat and hear pastor preach from God's word. And we love it because it means more to us than fine gold. We treasure God's word daily because in his word we find the gospel that we so desperately need in our lives every single day. The good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior, of Jesus Christ in us and us in Christ. And they're all in the treasure of God's word. What is our heart attitude? When it comes to God's word, Paul says, don't despise God's word, rather treasure it. Then he also said to the Thessalonians and to us this injunction, test everything by God's word. Verses 21 and 22. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He says, examine everything, test everything It was the idea of testing something for goodness or for soundness or for authenticity. It was a word that was often connected to the world of precious metals and especially in regards to money. Money in this day as well as today was to consist of certain exact weights and of certain exact properties. They were to be either pure gold or pure silver. But because the metals of those days were soft in nature, it was possible for those who had an interest in cheating the system to sort of shave off, to shave off a little bit of the gold or to shave off a little bit of the silver and keep it 
for themselves or it was possible some had another idea some would try to make counterfeit money by using look-alike materials and to guard against this there were individuals who had the job of examining carefully the money to see whether it was real or not because there were coins that felt like coins there were coins that looked like coins but in fact they were not good and they were not sound and they were not accurate so there were those individuals who would apply tests of authenticity and accuracy and the test always consisted of two parts two very important parts the first part was the examination itself the test of the money to see if it consisted of the right materials to see if it consisted of the right weight so that a determination can be made yes this is good this is solid it's sound but that was the first part of the test the second part of the test which was just as important was the application of the examination if the coin was deemed acceptable then the coin would be held on to it would be kept in the currency but if the coin was deemed unsound it was rejected it was taken out of circulation it would have been a farce to have made the examination to have decided that no this is not accurate this is not sound and then to put it right back into circulation no it was it was taken away it was it was done away with the injunction here in this passage for the Thessalonians and for us is that as believers we are instructed to apply test of authenticity and test of soundness to the message and to the ministry of those who purport to speak forth God's word but it includes more than that notice that the apostle Paul here says test everything examine everything he means every message Every practice, every theory, every opinion. Because, dear ones, there are things that appear on the surface to be good. There are those uh, messages, there are those ministries, there are those teachings that claim to be from God. And especially in our day and age, the day in which we live, there are those voices of the experts. Those voices of the professionals. Those voices of the scientist who claim to know so much. The voices of the professionals. And even the voices of our peers. That seem to say things that seem to have a certain bit of plausibility about themselves. But the Word of God instructs us that such are not to be accepted at their face value. Everything is to be examined by the Word of God. But not just examined. That's only the first part of the test. They're to be examined and then either wholeheartedly accepted or they are to be rejected and rejected decisively as a result of the test. It's been amazing. We would find it amazing the number of people who've been told by peers to walk away from their marriages, to walk away from their spouses. And they were given reasons and excuses that sounded plausible. They sounded 
reasonable, but they had no grounding whatsoever in the Word of God. It is amazing today, even in churches and among Christians, how many of us are hearing what sound like to be plausible explanations of why we do things that we do, why we worry the way we worry, why we're depressed about the things that we're depressed about, uh, why we fear the things that we fear, and what we should do about those, and what we should take for those kinds of things. And so much of that is just not even grounded in the Word of God. I want to share with you this morning how that our Confession of Faith, the 1689 Confession of Faith, amens 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. And let me just underline the fact that that's what happens. The Confession of Faith amens Scripture. Scripture never amens the Confession of Faith. Scripture is God's Word. But the Confession of Faith will sometimes do a very good job of amening for us what God's Word says. In the very first chapter of our Confession, the chapter on the Holy Scripture... In paragraph 1, we find the confession saying this. The Holy Scripture is the all-sufficient, certain, and infallible rule or standard of the knowledge, faith, and obedience that constitutes salvation. In paragraph 2, we find something similar. All these books of Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament, are given by the inspiration of God to be the rule or standard of faith and life. In chapter 6, we find these words. The sum total of God's revelation concerning all things essential to his own glory, to the salvation and faith and life of men, is either explicitly set down or implicitly contained in the Holy Scripture. Nothing, whether a supposed revelation of the spirits or man's tradition, is ever to be added to Scripture. And finally, paragraph 10 in that chapter, all religious controversies are to be settled by Scripture and by Scripture alone. All decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men collectively or individually, all are similarly to be accepted or rejected according to the verdict that Scripture gives us by the Holy Spirit. And that verdict, faith finds its final rest. <clears throat> Just a confession saying it was the same thing that First Thessalonians says. Examine everything by the Word of God. Whether it's the counsel of a man, whether it's counsel of men of long ago, whether it's the counsel of men of present day, whether it's the opinion of professionals, everything is to be examined by the Word of God. There is a desirable, desirable virtue of, of Christian simplicity. And by Christian simplicity, I mean of keeping things simple and uncomplicated. But it is not a part of Christian simplicity to be credulous. To be credulous, I mean to believe everything that comes along. It is not a part of Christian simplicity to be spiritually naive. It is not a part of Christian simplicity to be doctrinally ignorant or doctrinally indifferent. It is not a part of our Christian simplicity to be spiritually immature. Those kinds of things breed gullibility. They breed instability. They breed confusion and error and sin and gospel substitution. And there's nothing more deadly than gospel substitution. The basis of our Christian simplicity is sola scriptura, isn't it? Scripture alone. The Word of God being the standard by which everything is tested and accepted 
and rejected. To obey this injunction here in 1 Thessalonians is to have that noble Berean spirit. If you remember in the book of Acts, Paul had left Thessalonica and was taken secretly down to Berea. And in Berea, he found the Bereans had this spirit. Now, these Bereans were more noble minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word of God with great eagerness. They didn't despise it. They loved it. They treasured it. They were, this is God's word. And they received the word of God with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They treasured the word of God and they tested everything by the word of God. It's to have that same spirit that Paul uh, uh, exhorted Timothy with when he said, Timothy, I want you to be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of truth. Here Paul was saying to Timothy, I want you to be diligent in how you handle God's word. He said, be diligent to rightly divide God's word. Meaning, be diligent to make clear, precise cuts in the word of God so that the truth of God's word, God's word is laid clearly open with precision. We can't be loosey-goosey with life, brethren. We can't be loosey-goosey with our marriages. We can't be loosey-goosey with our families. We can't be loosey-goosey with what it means to live life in this world. We're to be those who are to be careful how we handle God's Word and to handle it accurately and precisely. If we're going to handle life accurately, we have to handle God's word accurately. Richard Rogers was an English Puritan and he wrote several very important practical treaties on Christian doctrine and how they are worked out precisely in our lives. And a man was visiting Rogers one day and he said these words to Richard Rogers. He says, Mr. Rogers, I like you and I like your company very well, but you are so precise. To which Rogers replied, Oh, sir, I serve a precise God. Rogers' goal was simple. His simple was to handle accurately God's word. His goal was to simply measure everything carefully by God's word. And if you and I work at measuring everything by God's word, if you and I work at being careful about how we handle accurately God's word and rightly dividing it, I'll assure you this will happen. If you do that, you will divide truth from error. You will divide clarity from confusion. You will divide substance from feel-good fluff. You will divide depth from superficiality and shallowness. You will divide God-centeredness from man-centeredness. You will divide worship from entertainment. You will divide holiness from sinfulness, even down to the details of your thinking and your living. But you'll also do something else. You will divide people. 
Doctrine always has and doctrine always will divide. And this is one of the things that people say sometimes. They say, no, not doctrine. Doctrine divides. Well, it, doctrine does divide, but not too fast. Hold on there just for a second because the goal in rightly dividing the Word of God and the goal of measuring everything by the Word of God, the goal is never division. The goal is not to be divisive. In fact, the goal in rightly dividing the Word of God and of measuring everything by the Word of God is exactly the opposite of division. The goal of rightly dividing God's Word is unity. Let me show you that. Turn, if you would, just for a second to Ephesians chapter 4. You can hold your finger there if you will, but in Ephesians chapter 4, we have to see this. It's very important. One of my favorite passages in the New Testament. Because it's laying down for us some very important instructions for the church and the instruction of God's word in the church. And we find, for example, in beginning at verse 8, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself has given gifts to men. And these gifts are given to the church. There is one church and one body and he's given gifts to these to these to the church. And we find that the gift that Christ gives to his church is in the form of those who will preach God's word in the church. And there are apostles and there are prophets and there are evangelists and there are pastor teachers. And these are gifts that Christ has given to his church. Why has Christ given these gifts to his church? Oh, our, our risen, our ascended Lord who, who loves us and he cares for us and he's given gifts to us and he's given us these gifts in his church, these men. Why? In verse 12, oh, for the equipping of the saints. For the work of the service to the building of the body of Christ. Verse 13, he has given the Lord Jesus Christ, has given these men and these gifts to the church in verse 13 to teach us God's word until, until we all, that is all of us, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here we find in God's word that our Lord Jesus Christ has given gifts to his church and the men who are going to teach us God's word until all of us come to the unity of the faith. Now, we live in a fractured world, brethren. There is a unity of the faith. And men are given to the church to teach us until we all come to the unity of the faith. So doctrine and truth has this very unique feature. Doctrine and truth in the economy of God has this unique feature of bringing about division for the sake of establishing unity. Truth will divide. But it's not our goal to be divisive. It's not our goal to bring about disunity. But I tell you that the mushiness of relativism and pluralism that plague much of modern day thinking have made inroads into the church. Relativism and pluralism are twin philosophies of acceptance. They are twin philosophies of toleration. And frankly, they are twin philosophies of compromise. They are twin philosophies that say all views, all practices 
of life and lifestyle. All things are tolerable. But then they go further and they say, not only are all things, all views, all practices, all opinions, not only are they all tolerable, they're all equally viable. And as thinking people, that's just untenable. That's, it's illogical. And it goes in the face of the word of God that say to us as believers, no, 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 no. All things are not tolerable and all things are not viable. Test everything. Every view, every opinion, every practice by the word of God. But the spirit of open-ended tolerance is deeper in the church than we might believe. There are so many today who would cry out, what matters is not doctrine and accuracy. What matters is love and unity. But the word of God would show us that, in fact, the closer our accuracy, the closer our unity and vice versa in God's plan. And there's another way that the world's mushiness of thinking has made inroads into the church. It's widely held in our culture today that to disagree with someone and to express that disagreement is being uncharitable. And that's not so. It's true, as Augustine told us, that we are to be those who have unity in the essentials of our doctrine, liberty in the non-essentials, but charity in all things. True. But you and I can disagree and still be charitable. We can be charitable and challenge things. We can be charitable and confront issues. We can be charitable and charge one another. Your pastor has a responsibility to do that every single week to be charitable and yet to charge you with the word of God. He has a responsibility to be charitable and to challenge sin in your lives. We as the body of Christ have the same responsibility amongst one another to be charitable and yet to confront one another, to admonish one another, to exhort one another. We can't buy the world's views that, that, that to disagree with someone is to be, as a definition, uncharitable because it's not true. Now, again, our goal in measuring everything by the word of God is not to draw lines for the sake of drawing lines. Let's not be those who draw lines for the sake of drawing lines. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes we draw lines unnecessarily. But there are times we have to draw lines if we're going to measure everything by the word of God. And when that's the case, let's draw them as shallow as we can, but as deep as we must to hold to that which is true and to abstain from every form of evil. When scripture says, as much as lies within you, be at peace with all men. That verse is not in competition with speak the truth in love. It's not in competition with that truth. And you might be here this morning and say, well, pastor, there are some certain issues that I'm not sure about. Uh, there are things that I'm not willing to be dogmatic about. What should I do with those kinds of things? And let me offer just very briefly three uh, suggestions. What about those things that we're not sure about? What about those things where we're not sure where exactly divide, to, to, to divide scripture or to draw a line? I'd say to you, first of all, this. First of all, hold to what you know to be true and treasure it. Abstain from what you know to be false and reject it. 
and humbly, humbly, humbly keep working at examining everything by the Word of God and measuring everything by the Word of God and seeking to rightly divide the Word of God. And then one more word of caution. Particularly a word of caution to us in reform circles. Brethren, never be satisfied with crossing T's and dotting I's. Now let me say, there is nothing wrong with crossing theological T's and dotting theological I's. Nothing wrong with that. In fact, in fact, there's everything wrong with not being careful about dotting theological T's and crossing theolo- or, or dotting crossing theological T's and crossing theological dies I's. There's everything wrong with not doing that. But there's everything wrong with only doing that. It'll leave you hard and proud. Never be satisfied with the test alone. Remember, the test always consisted of two parts. The examination itself, so a determination can be made, is this accurate? Is this sound? Is this right? Is this biblical? But then there was the application of the test. If indeed it's sound, if indeed it's right, if indeed it's biblical, then there was the responsibility to hold on to it. To treasure it, to guard it, to apply it, to obey it. See, some of you may know that today. You know, you know soundly what it means to be a believer. You know soundly what it means to be a church member. You know soundly what it means to be a husband. You know soundly what it means to be a wife. You know soundly what it means to be a teenager in a Christian home. You know soundly what it means to be a father or a dad. You know that. But sometimes it's so much theory as opposed to the gospel worked out in your life in everyday life. So never be satisfied with crossing T's and dotting I's. Start there, but don't stop there. Hold to that which is true. Cling to it, love it, obey it, and apply it for Christ's sake and for Christ's glory in your lives. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we have sat before a passage this morning. A passage that reminds us that we are to treasure your word, to treasure the gospel to treasure your law. It's a word in which even even the examination of that should be an examination of our, our hearts and our minds and our practice. Even that should be an examination of leading us to prayer for your grace. We've sat before a passage, Lord, as, a, as individuals and as a congregation that has exhorted us to Test everything by your word. So many of voices, 
so many opinions. And Lord, frankly, if they're not outside of us, they're inside of us. It may be that very well the, the voice that we should most challenge that we hear in our hearts and our minds is our own voice and our own views and our own opinions. And these above all should be challenged by your word and tested by your word. And I thank you as we do that. There's liberty. And there's life. And there's joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. There's righteousness. There's truth. There's the power of the gospel. Which is salvation. In our lives. In our homes. In our relationships. I thank you that you are so good. And I thank you that the gospel is so good. That you mean for us to be uh, healed people and sound people and well people. And the source of that soundness and truth and wellness in our lives comes about through your word. Help us not to despise it in heart, but to love it and to treasure it. To test all things by it. In Jesus' name, amen.